Evan. Hey, Joe. Hey, what time is it? It's time for another episode of Runtime Run Rundown. Let's, Let's go. go. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Runtime Rundown, the show where we read the web dev news so that you don't have to. I am Joe. I'm sitting here with Evan over there. And today we are going to be reading an article uh, called The Anatomy of Shad CN slash UI. Um, this is something that we had talked about doing last week, and we are going to be talking about it uh, today. We've got some opinions, mostly uninformed. Um, I'll start out real quick by saying if you have opinions about Shad CNUI or anything else that we talk about, uh, you should go drop us a line, uh, go to runtimerundown.com and send us an email. Uh, we always say that at the end of the show. It's time to start dropping that at the beginning of the show. Evan, how are you doing this week? That was a 9.9 out of 10 wow. intro. Wow. Okay. First off, I'm doing great. I have to say this up front. Uh, a friend of mine who is non -tech not technical, it doesn't he's not a developer at all, learned that I do a podcast and decided to listen to an episode. He 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 messages me five minutes in and goes, You have some really terrible energy in your intros. Not you, <laughs> me. He's like, I just listened to like seven straight episodes of you basically intimating that your life sucks. In the beginning, he's like, So get your shit together. So here I am. It's back to energy. Everything yes. is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Um, <laughs> I'm doing great. I had, no, I mean, re really, I am. I've had this side project that, uh, has been really super fun for now. I think, I don't know, like a week and a half or something. And, um, got to dive really deep on a bunch of random stuff, which was super fun. Uh, I've just sort of like in the, uh, I'm vibing, vibing. Nice. I've been doing some stuff. That I you can't seem talk like about. you seem like you're vibing, yeah. I've been doing stuff I can't talk about, but I've been doing it super well, and yep. uh, and I like when life has leverage. You know, when you're doing things that are like matter, or when it's like you're nervous about stuff and yeah. excited about things. That to me is like that's the juice, and I I love how I get super nervous, and then when time comes to actually perform, I find that in general it's like everything calms down for me, and it it goes well, and. That is nice to know about yourself. And so that's been good. I've had that proven time and time again recently. And I'm not trying to brag or anything. Uh, it's taken a lot of preparation and years. But man, it feels good. It's like, oh, I'll get nervous and then excited. And then the time comes and it's like, oh, and everything yep. gets really calm. And boom, yep. shows on. It feels really good. So that's, that's where great. I'm at right now. Yeah. that I mean, that is, I think, a testament to how you, well you prepare for things. Because I think a lot of people, myself included, sometimes will get really nervous about something and then like skip the excitement right to the like uh, anxious crash. Dread. But yeah. Uh, yeah. But if you if you ride that wave of nervousness into excitement, you can you can just use it. You can like harness the power and uh, and end yeah. up like pre preparing, getting prepared. And then once you're once you're prepared and once you feel like you kind of like you've got this, it just, yeah, you hit this wave of calm and it's just this, it's a, it's a nice feeling, but it's, it's like it super energetic. It feels good. Yeah. Super energetic. And that is the superpower to everything is, uh, give an F like just <laughs> yeah. prepare super hard. If you have to do anything that's even mildly relevant to your life, like over prepare, think about what is the most prepared person in the world? What would they have done? And then do that, uh, which is kind of silly advice, but I feel like a lot of people don't do that. And uh, like it leaves you 
exposed, like in a tough spot, you feel like mm-hmm. you don't know what you need to know. But if you go way over the top and yes, it's going to burn a bunch of time and you're not going to be able to go out with your friends as much and all that stuff. But then when the time comes, when you need to actually perform, you've done like an excellent amount of presentation. It makes everything so much better. Just do it one time in your life and see what it feels like. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. Um, anyways, Joe, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm unprepared for this question. Uh, no, I, I I'm doing good. My my we've we've been hit by a wave of of various colds and things in my family. So we've we've had a couple of days, uh, a couple of days just kind of laying around the house. Um, we actually like are late on this episode because last week we were supposed to record and I had no voice. My voice just like cut out and I could I could have done the show like this but I didn't think anybody was going to enjoy that so uh so yeah that was that's kind of why we were a little bit late this week and uh the other thing that's going on is Pokemon big time Pokemon <laughs> in the house right now my um my little guy is super into Pokemon it's funny I I think like as uh you know when when I first had uh kids I was like uh sort of picturing like years of them being into something and then sort of dropping off and then years of them being into something else. But that's not what it, it's like a month of just like hyper focused on a thing. And then you switch, jump to another thing, hyper focused for a month. So um, I'm assuming some of these things that have dropped off are going to come back. But right now it's Pokemon. And when you're around the house for two days straight with nothing but Pokemon, it's like it's a lot of Pokemon. That's a lot of Pokemon. So are we, are we off origami? We're into Pokemon now? Yep. I mean, we'll get we'll get back to origami. Uh, he's kind of like going back and forth between origami and Pokemon, but yeah, yeah. I mean, you could do origami with the Pokemon and really step it up. Oh yeah, because we did that with <clears throat> we did that with uh with um we talked about this on the show, Paper Mario. Yeah. We did uh yeah, we made some origami for Paper Mario. Anyway, I feel like we've talked enough about origami have, and, and let's Paper get Mario. Into the damn thing. Uh, yeah, Evan, what are you reading? All right, everybody. I am reading an article called The Anatomy of Shad CN slash UI. And if you think I'm saying a word that's not good, it's really called Shad CN. Someone named a design system Shad CN. I just want to say that multiple times. Uh, this, is, <laughs> um, this is on a blog, uh, manupa.dev, M-A-N-U-P-A.dev. And this is like an exhaustive article explaining what is a unique approach by Sat, uh, Shad CN and how they deliver their components to you uh, and sort of the architecture of Shad CN as a design system. So kind of interesting. It's like a meta-analysis of a design system because Shad CN takes a very different approach and we'll talk about that. Uh, but in this article, there's like you're generally talking about design systems, about behavior and style as two separate uh but generally bundled concepts in a design system. And then we get into the architecture overview of Shad CN, which is slightly different um, in how that kind of separates out the concept of a headless UI component uh, and a style layer as two separate things. Um, and then we kind of get in, we can get into some, how that works with the structure behavior layer versus the style layer. Sure. We'll talk about that. There's, we could probably mouth code about hilarious stuff in here. Um, <laughs> Joe can talk about his trying to install it and use Mm -hmm. it. And then there's a lot of code in here, which we probably won't get into. And then some hilarious stuff about design principles, which are hilarious to me when people apply like 1960s design principles loosely to 
yeah. front end stuff. That was uh, it, We'll get into that. It's like such a stretch. Um, and then that's probably about it. How, how did I do? Yeah, I thought uh, I thought that was a good intro. Um, and I wanted to mention one of the reasons why we why uh, this this article kind of like bubbled up is because Shad CN UI is the number one most popular project from uh, 2023 on the like Rising Stars JS or whatever what? JavaScript Rising Stars. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh wow, <clears throat> yeah, has 39,000 stars on GitHub, and um, it uh, it beat out Bun. Oh no, I'm sorry. I think 2023 it gained 39,000 stars. I'm not sure if it's like to- if this is total stars or if it's a uh, number of stars gained in the year, but. Um, Beat up Bun, Excaladraw, TL Draw. Next, it beat out Next.js, Superbase, React. Like, it's got to be n- number of new stars. But, um, but yeah, people are talking about it. I was also looking through this Rising Stars um, little blurb. It says Kent C. Dodds chose um, chose Shadzian UI for his cutting edge epic stack. Um, so people are like really loving this uh, this framework, and so that that one made me want to like take a look at it. <clears throat> but then also when I read this article, I was like, it sounds, it's okay. Here's the thing. It sounds really interesting. It also sounds so different from anything that I'm used to in the JavaScript ecosystem because it's not an NPM package that, uh, it very much piqued my interest. And I'm actually a little bit surprised at how much people are like into this thing. Um, I, I, I think I'll just like the last thing I'll say before I, uh, before I give it back to you is like, I'll mention the the, um, the sort of philosophy here. There's like uh, at the top of this article, there's a copy and paste of the philosophy that comes from the Shad CNUI docs. Because the first question is like, why it's why not package it as a dependency? And the answer is uh, the idea behind this is to give you ownership and control over the code, allowing allowing you to decide how the components are built and styled. So. Um, yeah, that's the weirdest thing about this. It's it's not an npm package. Uh, when you want to add a component to your to your code, you npx shad cnui add button, for example, and it will like it will uh, copy and paste essentially a button into your uh, into your app, and then you can just use it. It's just yours to do whatever whatever you want with. Yeah, that was that was great. Um, so. The idea behind that, like to, to take that further, right, um, is that snippet you mentioned where it says the idea behind this is to give you ownership and control over the code, allowing you to decide how the components are built and styled. So this is basically like they're providing a sensible default and then you can further customize. Um, yeah, I, I think it, th- this is going to be more important that in general with design systems, when they're packaged in an NPM package, is that by default, the style is coupled with the implementation in some way. And usually if you've ever worked with the design systems, it becomes kind of hard to further customize them. They're entrenched or, or I guess sort of like stratified. Like you've got, this is it in time and space. And I want to change it. I've got to do some shisty things like overrides or whatever. Some do a better job. Like Next UI gives you escape patches for providing themes and uh, you know, all that stuff, but still there's a lot of style built into the NPM package, which is compiled and you, it's just away from you. You don't see it. Shad CN is, takes a different approach, um, where it's like, they call it designing or declaring a design system as code. Um, and that kind of goes like nice into the prologue, which is that 
breaking down user interfaces. This is going to be simple to a lot of you, but there's sort of um, two parts of a user interface concept, which is the behavior. And that's like physically what it does. You know, if it's a checkbox, it checks something. If it's a drop down, it drops something down. This can be uh, very, very much like drawn back to the original HTML component implementation of most things that are web native. If it's a little not web native, like complex drop downs or something like that, maybe we have to do some extra stuff. But that behavior is literally how does it function on a web page and including like your uh, accessibility side of the house as well. Um, and that is different than style. Like, what does it look like? Uh, you know, if you look, if you ever like use an HTML button, it looks a certain way. Uh, mm-hmm. It has certain functionality, but it is not great in the style. You can then override the style. When we're defining all of our own pieces, um, we have all that functionality you know, as one part of it. And then we then add styling to it. Shadsy, and we were just talking about that in general. And style is like the tangible aspect of UI, which is its visual presentation. It has nothing to do really with how it functions. Although that can be a little blurry in something like a radio group where people tend to really override what it looks like. And then your style has a, has a very functional component to it. But that's a rare example. For the most part, the way that Chad's looking at this is that you can have the functional side of a piece of UI as the headless UI, as what they call a headless UI component, which is just the functionality of it. It's a button that when you click things, it does this, or it's a drop down that when you click it, it drops down. And then styling is a separate concern. Um, that's the intro. Prologue. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was uh, very happy before the show to hear you say, "Wait, what's a headless UI system?" Because I had no idea when I started reading this, article, yeah. and I was like, <laughs> "I was like, am I like way out of the loop with some with like some UI stuff?" And I mean, there, that's just because you didn't know what it is either doesn't mean that we aren't both out of the loop. But I I get the sense that uh, that neither of us are particularly out of the loop. But just like I don't know, headless headless UI is just not something I was uh, familiar with. But it makes a lot of sense. Like as soon as I read it, I was like, oh, okay, I get like get why you would want that. It's like especially the accessibility thing, having that built in. Uh, you know, there's the um, uh, Shadsian uses a dependency called uh, Radix, and I think there's another one called React Aria. And um, there's also React the, it, Form. There's React a couple. Form. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, React Form is is not. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. React, React Form is the is like the um, the headless uh, form uh, yep. UI. Yeah. OK. Um, but uh, like this Radix UI, for example, it I th- it makes a lot of sense that you would have a, a third party dependency that you can sort of trust to do a lot of the baseline accessibility stuff for you so that you don't have to re-implement like a drop down that you can then style because like drop downs. Uh, the, the, the browser native dropdowns are sort of like, uh, uh, notoriously hard to style and get right, uh, when you're trying to make them your own. Cause we all know what the, the, the browser dropdown looks like. It's like a little gray box that drops down and you got a bunch of options, but if you want to make that look a certain way, or if you want like, um, uh, a, a, a type, you know, a type, a type, a search bar, integrate a search bar into that or something like you got to go way off the map and, um. There are sort of some established ways of doing it, but my impression is that something like Radix UI or one of these headless UI libraries will, my sense is that it'll make that a lot easier for you. Yeah, and I think Radix is only brought in because there are certain types of components that one would expect. Uh, I'm going to try 
an example of this. Uh, accordions, popover, and tabs are not particularly like accordions and popovers are not things that are super web native. Uh, like uh, meaning there isn't like an HTML popover component that's changing soon. Um, mm-hmm. We are getting HTML popovers and uh, anchor CSS variables coming soon. Hopefully that was one of like the 15 things that browsers are deciding to work on to focus on this year, which I'm super excited about. Um, but it's just Radix UI was just gives you um, like extra functionality that Shad CDN didn't want to build out of the box. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. But I, yes. So, so go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, go ahead. Headless UI. I had never heard the term. I just want to come back to this. Headless UI is like, I've heard headless a million times just applied to random stuff. And mm-hmm. I literally never heard the term headless UI before because it doesn't make any sense to me. It's mm-hmm. like words that I hear that I understand individually, but then you put them together. I'm like, what? But what are you saying? Uh, and it's just what we're all we're saying is just unstyled components. Mm-hmm. That's all headless UI is. It's just a fancy way of saying unstyled components. And I don't think we need to build a new term for that. I um, <laughs> I don't think you need to say it like it's some revolutionary concept in software development. Like, oh, we've developed headless UI. It's like, oh, I've, I've seen a lot of backend developers make headless UI accidentally. Um, <laughs> and look, <laughs> you don't need to name it something new. Yep. Yeah. Um, I feel like we could, we could talk, uh, there's a lot here to talk about. And so I think we should maybe like kind of zoom in on a few things and maybe, maybe a good place to start is the thing that's been kind of in the back of my mind. As soon as I heard about this, like, uh, copy and paste method instead of a, instead of an NPM package, my first thought was like, but what, uh, what if your depend? What if your dependencies have a uh, a bunch of version bumps? Because like, yeah, it's copy and pasting, say, a button from the Shad CNUI library into your application, so that now you own that code. But on top of that, it adds a bunch of dependencies to your package JSON, and like one of the ones uh, we were talking about, this one, and we'll probably get into a little bit, uh, is class variance authority. It's on like zero point seven, so like. That's not even at a, that's not even at a first you know v one release yet, and so what happens to your code when uh, when that stuff gets bumped? Usually, when you're working with a library like Material UI or or Next UI or one of these one of these libraries that you do install as a package, they might have peer dependencies that you need to keep updated in a certain in a certain range. But if this class variance authority, for example, or Radix UI or Tailwind, if any of these uh, release a new major version with breaking changes, your uh, all of your components potentially might not work, and you won't necessarily have the um, you won't have like a, a clearly defined roadmap to get to the place that they need to be to to uh, to, to get them working again. They might. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe Shad CN will publish a uh, a change log or a um, you know what's the uh, usually when, when libraries publish a changelog, they're like, here are the breaking changes and here's the migration guide from V2 to V3 or whatever. Maybe Shad CN is going to do that. But that was my very first thought is what happens when these dependencies make breaking changes? Uh, You're kind of on the hook for them and you're on the hook for understanding not only your code, not only this button that it copies and pastes, but also how your code interacts with all of its dependencies. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a real 
interesting question to me because uh, we talked about Tesla's law a couple episodes ago. Tesla's law states that you can't, at a certain point, you can't erase complexity. You can only move it and decide, and, and you have to, as the developer, decide about where you want your complexity to live. So dependency management can never be removed. It is just like, it's, it's going to find you. Now, if you were using a design system where all of this was in an NPM package versioned, if, if for instance, navigation, uh, there's like a navigation component, it uses next link, uh, like a, you know, next JS link as the thing. I, I mean, actually I gotta look further at this. There's, there's, let's just use a, something more generic. There's some like Radix or whatever. We talked about Radix. Radix is a dependency in one of these components. Uh, if it wasn't a, a general NPM packaged design system, they would have to do that update. If Radix changes its API, the library would have to do a breaking, hopefully, uh, update and like fix all that for you and make all that work. And then you get to consume that new API. Hopefully, it, it you don't have to change much. Hopefully, they just like all that's under the hood for you. With this though, because it's copy paste, that dependency is like exposed to you. And then if Radix changes, you have to do that update. I imagine that's what would happen is you'd have to then update it and make sure all your components still work. And if they don't, exactly. then fix that. And then you, I guess like you'd hope, like you said, that Shad CN would say, okay, well, we, we're going to give you a code mod or we're going to give you a doc to tell you how to do it. Um, all that is still not free though. Like that's still going to be an expense. So what you gain is configurability, flexibility, all this stuff because you've got all those components now in your own source code. Super cool, I guess. But what you lose though is like you now own all of it. Like mm -hmm. you you just got a bunch of code you didn't really write and now you have to maintain it. Um which I would say in some people's uh lives would be a form of nightmare. If you're handed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I'm handed 15,000 lines of code I didn't write, go maintain it. Yeah. Like that, I will that say might like, actually trigger night sweats for some of us. Might, yeah, ex yeah, exactly. Uh, and of course, not everybody. I mean, there's a reason why this this uh, this uh, project has so many stars and is is so popular right now. Um, it, because not everybody feels the same. And so, you know, I think, I think it's good to like sort of preface all of this with like, um, this is just sort of like our first impressions of this and we haven't used it at any kind of scale. I really just started playing around with it, but yeah, I mean, my first thought, as soon as I did NPX shad CNUI add button, I like opened up this new button component. I was like, Oh, that's a lot of code that I now have to own and maintain. <laughs> and, yep. uh, imagine that with like dozens of components. Um, yeah, it just, uh, it was, it gave me a, a, a funny little feeling. And the other thing is like, it's, it's, um, it is configurable, but they it does come with some defaults. So by default, they use Tailwind CSS. Um, they use this thing that we've mentioned called um, uh, Class Variance Authority. So uh, yeah, let's let's talk about this now because like the, when I ran that add button command, it added a button component, and I looked, and it when I opened up the file, it looked nothing like I expected it to look. The first thing I saw was this class variance authority, which Evan, you then like uh, slacked me. And I was like, oh, yep, that's the thing that just, or, you know, you messaged me and I was like, that's the thing that just got added. The first thing that you see is a whole bunch of, uh, of Tailwind CSS classes, which like, if you're familiar with, with Tailwind CSS, then that you, you probably won't have any problems with that, but it's embedded within 
this class variance authority uh, config. So that's another thing that like, I think it's probably just because I'm unfamiliar with it. Maybe there, maybe there are people who are familiar with it who really enjoy using it. Because once I looked at it, I was like, okay, I, I get what's going on here. It's, it's like, if you have a button, a lot of times you'll need a few different variants of that button. You might need like a secondary, which is maybe like a, uh, gives it a more like, um, you know, just like a secondary color scheme. You might have a confirm that's like a green button. You might have a danger that's a, a red button, things like this, all these different variations. And class variance authority is a way to sort of organize that into a config. And when I started looking through it, I was like, okay, this is fairly intuitive. It was just surprising to see uh, in my button component. I would expect to see something like that in a, sort of a global config, like um, like I have seen with like Material UI does that, and I think um, you know a lot of the a lot of the other UI f frameworks or design systems that I'm used to do that kind of at a global level, and it seems like this one is doing it at a, at a component level. Anyway, that was just my first my first thought, and we were uh, we were having a few. Uh, chuckles before we started at uh, this this sort of what this code looks like. Yeah. Okay. So let's go. Like in the article, they uh, we have to pay homage to this author. They mentioned the architecture of Shad CDN. So a Shad CN, CDN Shad CN um, breaks down into a, a basically a two a two tier architecture for every component which is a style layer and a structure and behavior layer, which we mentioned. The structure and behavior layer is the headless UI component implementation that if you were to strip away all the other stuff would still work. Uh, like you could, you could strip away all the other code, but it also comes with the style layer. And if you do, you know, shad add button, you're going to see all this. That button style is going to be uh, like four parts in the style layer, not to mouth code, but there's some global style variables that you can configure in your application with like, themes type of things, uh, you know, color, you know, general CSS token stuff that you'd imagine in a general design system. That is part of it. In the component itself, you're going to see like Tailwind CSS for your utility class things. You're also going to see this class variance authority library, um, which is like you're defining defaults. And, and class variance authority is really a weird name for a library, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, and I've, I've been like looking at their docs. I look, you go to their website. It just has, n it's like no reason to exist for me when I read it. <laughs> um, it's just like, you may want to do this. You might want to do this. CVA aims to take those pain points away, allowing you to focus on the more fun aspects of UI development. I'm like, but how, what are you <laughs> giving me? I still don't know. <laughs> um, and Anyway, so you have CVA just looks to me like imagine um, stitches or CSS and JS. CSS and JS libraries allow you to kind of define like some defaults and then you can pick those defaults. So CVA is just another way to do that. I need to learn more, whatever. Then they, they give you this other part with like utility class management for like um, class, the, the class names library or CLSX or CSX, however you want to name that, which allows you to kind of like switch classes that you're adding based on state in your React component. That's everything. What I've described to you is literally nothing different except for this weird library called Class Variance Authority than what you already see in like most components that you write now. It's it's not super revolutionary. So don't get kind of, in my opinion, don't get caught up in a bunch of hype about like Shad CN's doing something 
wildly new. The difference is they just aren't packaging it in NPM. You just have like what is essentially a fancy code generator and use like, you know, shad CDN add a button and it's like, okay, dump. And it puts a bunch of code that you could have written yourself, but decided not to. And that's fine. Uh, but all this stuff about like wild headless UI component, multi, multi-layer style architecture is just like a bunch of gibberish around. You just wrote a component with fucking styles on it. Uh, <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know that this my read on the whole thing. It's like, wow, there's a whole bunch of words here and yeah. I've been doing this for years. So there's nothing yeah. different. Yeah. It is interesting that, it, that like they, it feels like uh, one big package, but like really you could use any of these things. You could, you could rip out CVA if you want and just use the, yep. the button. I mean, and actually that's kind of the whole point. Like the whole point is that it's yours now. Like the code is yours now and it's not getting <laughs> any more updates or whatever. I wonder if they're going to come up with like a, you know, uh, uh, a Shad CN update button, a c- you know, CLI command or something like that. Um, the, uh, but, but yeah, so it's, it's all kind of like, composable or decomposable you know you can you can say oh i want to or if you don't use shad cnui you can still use cva you can still use all this other stuff you can still use tailwind so it kind of like packages a bunch of stuff together but the the main difference here is that it's putting it all into your code base um it's funny you were talking about the 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 name cla and it just reminded me there there's a lot of stuff out it feels like there's a lot of stuff out there right now like that like um swc uh, there's a lot of these like three named acronym, three letter acronym named uh, yep. uh, libraries. SWC is like speedy web compiler. I think that's what it stands for, yeah. uh, which is uh, it's just funny. But like and so, yeah, when I saw that name, the um, class variance authority, I kind of didn't even bat an eye at it. But like I probably should have because it is it feels like a I mean, it has the word authority and it feels like a very like. Uh, OK, I have to, I got to jump in, though, because. <laughs> I have to mouth code for a second. They wrote something called class variance authority. And this is like the cornerstone (laughs) of configurable styles and shad CN. This is a function, a very simple function that takes two arguments. One is a string. That's all the styles that you generally want. And then the next thing is an object that includes a thing called variance, like a key called variance. And then another key called variant. Don't know why. Because it's just like you have default variants and then you have other variants. And then variant is another object. It's like, what the? F- and then you can define default, secondary, primary, success, whatever. And again, don't get this. Uh, what I'm going to boil this down to is all this does is takes in like a string primary. And then gives you back a string <laughs> of styles, which gets shoved onto the div. Uh, that's it. It's like there's nothing more magical that I can see to class variant authority than you just write <laughs> a big giant object that just has styles on it. And why I was la- Joe and I laughed about this earlier because I sent him an example of like customizing Shad CN components. And it shows what, you know, CVA is just like CSS and JS, like any other library. And man, with Tailwind and CVA 
it's like a brick of text that's like illegible inline flex items around a border px 2.5 pxy 0.5 text yes semi bold transition it's like what am yeah. i looking at and there's so many of the variants and the variants all have tailwind class names very close to each other it's like this is a solution looking for a problem uh cva to me it's like the very ostentatious name for what is just a function that returns an object with a string on it that you get a yeah, string out of. I kind of wonder if the if the 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 library name is like kind of tongue in cheek because I actually think that the simplicity is uh, is a is a check in the pro column for this library. Like, it, oh, I it, agree. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, it is just a function, and it takes in sort of a default. Uh, it takes into default styles, and then it takes in this variance object, and you just define what all your variant, all the different variants are, and you define the default variant. And it's like to me, I found it really readable, and I was like, okay, like, but yeah. Then you look at the name, and it's like class variance authority and it's very, it's very uh well authoritative um but it made me wonder if that if that name is uh is tongue-in-cheek um maybe but it would be interesting to see this like without uh tailwind for example because there's so much going on with and and like i think we are getting into it because it just plops all this stuff in your code base and so so now you are sort of like uh, you have to wrap your head around it. If you're going to work with it, you have to sort of understand what's going on in all of this code. But I wonder how this would look without, say, Tailwind, because um, you could have uh, Radix UI and ShadCN, you, uh, you know, ShadCN uh, integrate Radix and integrate this CVA without Tailwind, and you could provide your own class names. And I'm curious how that would look. You know, I'm curious if if there are people doing that who aren't using Tailwind or anything like that. Like that might look a little bit more palatable because then it would just be like, you know, uh, default would be um, primary button. It would be a class called like primary button, and then the well, but then it's like, why not just use that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's know. what I'm trying to get at is then then what are you getting at a Shad CN? So mm -hmm. you're getting styling out of them, which is I think what people want. The actual components are fairly simple. So like if I'm building a quote unquote design system, um and I've got I'm not like I I want it to be as configurable as possible, but I don't want to just build the easy part, which is like the button. Um so I, yeah, then I then I just want what am I getting? Yeah, I wonder who the target of this of this library is. Is it like um, people who are just starting? Um, is it people who are just starting their own project from scratch? Is it something to to get get you started? Is it meant to be used at like an enterprise level where you have maybe a team who is the design systems team? Maybe they are. Uh, maybe this project is intending for something like that for them to get started because like. They're going to be people who do maintain, uh, they do maintain their own design systems and they're going to be used to things like this. They're going to be used to making decisions like how do we want to integrate our styling and what's going to be the best way to integrate our styling that's going to support the whole rest of the front end and everybody else on those teams. Um, they will have the knowledge to be able to maintain uh, maintain a library like this. I guess I'm just thinking about maybe a more junior developer or somebody who's just getting started and adding this to their project. And then six months later, like something, they go to up, upgrade their dependencies or, or something's not working and they have to go down this whole rabbit hole to try and figure it out why it's not working. When, if they had gone with a solution like Material UI, which like uh, isn't the most flexible thing, you know, uh, but 
it has a well-defined API and it has documentation around that API, they're probably going to, my, my sense, they would probably have an easier time going down that path than, than something like this. But yeah, I yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I'm trying to think also of the, the target market here, um, where if you are at a company and you're building a design system, then I would, I'd argue you're going to build it yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. probably because you have like specific needs. So, right. you know, you've got, you, you, uh, have a SaaS application, you need charting and all that type of stuff. You build a design system, to make that easier or an e-commerce company, you need visual consistency, you need whatever, um, stuff. So you that's, build that. That's kind of what made me think of this because like, this is sort of like a, it, it's a seed. It like gets you started down that path so that you don't have right. to do a bunch of, yeah. It's like, Kind of the boiler, and that's for all that. that's kind of what I'm thinking is maybe the point of it is it's going to be uh, Prometheus for other design yes. systems, right? Like yeah. the the beginning, and it might make it easier to get off the ground and start that process. So I I could actually see, say you're an agency or something like that, and you want you know general design system that you can speed up your front end development for, but it needs to be different per application. You could get probably pretty good at Tailwind. And class variance authority, uh, and and like sh- getting used to the Shad CN approach, and then you can almost like spin up uh, a design system because you know how to run the config. You change your colors, you change your whatever, add the different components, and then bang, you've just made a design system, and you're spawning design systems. So it's like a design system factory. Um, it doesn't change the fact that I think it's going to get hairy when like React updates to nineteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know that like peer depend a major peer dependency change means you're going to eat some work. Uh, although you probably would anyways. Uh, I, the design system might have taken that hit for you. Um, that's so a fair maybe point. you wouldn't. I don't know. Like that. that's not a guarantee. So I don't want to just say, oh, you shad CN, you're effed on dependency updates. Because <laughs> you might have been anyways. We did a whole episode of Next.js. Like you get, you get your ass kicked on dependency updates for that all the time. So- they, the, I guess the other side of the coin is Shad CN isn't pushing out a major every three weeks that you have to handle. Like there is, you don't. You, there's, you yeah, just, there's none of that. Like there's you just yeah. don't. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I guess that's a win. So so maybe that is the the benefit here is that you're just spawning what I would imagine to be uh, functional, accessible components that you can then apply your knowledge to the design the created design system by applying your knowledge to that. And it gives you maximum configurability. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of talking myself into that now as we go. Yeah. I wonder, I, because now that you said something, it made me think about like the other side of that, you know, it's like you don't have, you don't have a major version, but like what you do have is like, what if you, you also don't get patches? So what if there's like a bug or like, what if there are some new features that would be yeah. really nice? You don't get that. You don't get any of that. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe they do have a path that I just haven't found in the docs, but like, I, I didn't see anything like, uh, I actually didn't read the docs. So there, it may be very obvious in the docs, but I didn't, I didn't see like, uh, uh, update function that will, that will, you know, take whatever you have. I don't, I, I would be really surprised if they had that. Um, so I don't know what that path looks like if you're going to get new features. Um, maybe they're banking on n- not changing this stuff very much, but that seems kind of weird too. I don't know. Um, I was looking at the uh, the conclusion of this article. Um, 
which you know if you had other stuff to say about about one of the earlier sections uh jump jump right in but um, i just wanted to jump in real quick um yeah. i did read i did read the ducks jabroni um <laughs> and there is no, i'm just Hold kidding up. i didn't read all i didn't read all of them but i did read because i looked for this section and there's a funny line uh it says oh no i can't find it yeah okay updating your project since we follow a copy and paste approach, you will need to manually update your project to get the latest changes. Uh, they're like, period. We're period. <laughs> period. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Yep. It says, note, we are working on a diff command to help you keep track of upstream updates, um, mm, that's which is experimental yeah. where you could say NPX shad CN diff, and it would let you know uh, that there are updates available. Then you can run like a diff component um like say like shad cn diff button and it'll say here's what's different between the button that you have and the button that we have and then i imagine you have to manually make those changes yeah that also feels like a lot of overhead for them when you're just like i could just rename my current button component button dash old pull down the new one and do a diff on my, my machine like why do i need this diff command it, you know <laughs> yeah. uh, and also like is, yeah, is that's that true this is like a this is that even helpful i know is and is that diff gonna diff against their button versus the new version or you know i, I don't know our anyway. button no the yeah. button local the button local it, 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 yeah yeah as long right. as you didn't move it, I'm assuming. Uh, right, exactly. Like you put it anywhere else. Yeah. So, so it, that is, that's a super sketchy story to me because going all the way. Well, you're gonna you're gonna go down another path. I don't I don't want to like divert no, no. us, but there is. I, it still gives me the core premise. Gives me night sweats, which is that I have now just adopted a bunch of code and given people a mechanism, a so easy mechanism. And actually a paved path to just write like seven lines in a CLI or a couple words in a CLI and then bang, you've got like 500 more lines of code to maintain um, that you don't know how like a lot of, unless your team works in Tailwind, knows CVA, is very familiar with the Shad library, which is not an expectation you generally have when people are installing design systems. The point of design systems generally is that a lot of that is abstracted away from you. And that responsibility is put on another team, in this case, open source, or if you're in a company, it's like your design system team. And I am a consumer of that thing. This subverts that relationship. And I am not the owner of the design system, essentially locally. And there's something weird there for me that I think it's a great idea. And like we talked about, if you know what you're doing, it's great. I wouldn't say this is for everybody though, because- you like depend you're owning all this code like this is all in your code base now and you're just creating a pathway to just create like many more things that you own really fast like faster and you're not yeah. writing it you're just you're just like you're just adding it so like if i have to write the button somebody knows how it works and did right. it right yes right yeah but this they don't they just wrote add button and then right. boom they wrote the code it's like whoa yeah. button but faster than any generative it. ai can can build you a button too fact yeah but they <laughs> didn't no one wrote it so they don't know really you, you really don't know how it works um like fundamentally maybe you do in an abstract concept but that's just as kind of like gives me again the night sweats yeah yeah um yeah, I was just going to mention in the uh, speaking of night sweats in in the conclusion of this article, they they talk about 
uh, and and as I was reading this, I kind of had I I have thoughts on both sides. But in the conclusion, they talk about oh, here are some other examples of components, and it tells you about uh, how they do them. So they have there's a calendar component, and then it's like it uses React Day Picker as the headless component. It uses date functions as the date time uh, formatting library. Then you have a table if you want to add a table. It uses Tanstack slash uh, React table. Um, if you add the form, it's going to use React hook form. It's going to use Zod. It's going to use all of these. So now like you, you've added three components and now you all of a sudden have five or six new dependencies. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yep. and then in the very next, uh, in the very next paragraph goes on to say that it, it, uh, it abstracts everything. You know, it's like, uh, it's a new paradigm in front of development, um, uh, rather than being limited to the opinionated API of a pre-built component library, um, uh, what is the, uh, oh, instead of relying on third-party packages that abstract, uh, the whole component, we could own the implementation, except that you are still depending on these third-party libraries. That's the thing. Yep. Like, I don't, I don't really understand that article, but this is uh, a third-party I mean, party library. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> you're right. in one right now. They're in the room. Exactly. And so I did, you know, in my head, my first thought was, well, yeah, but you're adding all these third-party libraries. And then on the flip side of that, I was like, except that these are like trusted third-party libraries. It's actually maybe a good thing that it's giving, that it's being opinionated about which libraries it uses, you know, uh, Tanstack React Table, that's a great table uh, table library. Date Functions is a great date time library. Um, yep. So like it, I think it is making some, some good decisions for you. Uh, but it, it brought me back around to that argument that I do kind of think this is going to be most useful for, um, a design system team who is, uh, building something for other developers to consume and, uh, and is very familiar with how all this stuff works. If you're joining a design system team, you probably have worked with all of these libraries before. But if you're an, if you're a new developer trying to spin up a new side project, you might have worked with a handful of them. But like, who knows if you've worked, you know, w worked with React Day Picker or React uh, React Hook Form. I mean, some of these are pretty pretty common. But uh, it seems to to cater more to uh, a design system team who wants to build a, a design system for a company that is going to then like basically create their own abstraction over it for the rest of the company, the rest of the front end developers of the company to use. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I know we're at late, but I do want to just take a quick detour in this article where the author um, talks about the solid design principles of <laughs> Shad CN. I wasn't going to cover I was like, go for oh, it. Should I not? <laughs> No, this, I, I, you do what you want. Always, you okay, thanks. This is always straight. This is just a little small rant. Uh, solid design principles, cool. If you need to appeal to authority so that people approve your changes, I get it. Um, <laughs> but they really don't apply to most things. Or if they do, like that means it's meaningless. So they go like, wow, let's take, let's take the example of the badge component. We can notice some solid design patterns. That the badge component adheres to the single responsibility principle which is to render a badge with different <laughs> styles based on the provided variant. It delegates the management of styles to the badge variance object. That is all components do that. That is literally an explanation of all React components. Uh, okay, open-closed principle, that the code follows the open-closed principle by allowing for addition of new variants without modifying the existing code. It's not exactly true. You have to 
modify the variance object in the badge variance definition. Uh, but that's pretty much again true of like all components, uh, everything, all the time. Uh, dependency injection inversion principle that the component and its styling are defined separately. The badge component depends on the badge variance object. I get like this is all like such a reach. I just don't do this. I don't like this. I hate this. <laughs> it's like it's just not. We're not building. Uh, like Java service here, and we're actually using some of these in their original intention when written in the like, what are they? The f- solid book from the 1970s by the Big Four. No, this isn't it. This doesn't right. give you any extra. Like, oh, if I if I were to read a design system, I'm comparing Shad CN and Coop's cool design system, and <laughs> one does single responsibility <laughs> principle, and one doesn't. I'd be like, ooh. <laughs> going with the solid one it's like no it doesn't matter no it doesn't matter that's my only side sorry no it is funny and i do like i i do kind of always um uh i don't know what the expression is but i i I notice that people use the solid design principles a lot when they aren't always necessarily uh super applicable like it it's a it's an it's an oop solid tends to be like most useful for oop um, design patterns um but the thing i I wasn't going to mention it, but now that we're talking about, it, I will mention it's not even, it doesn't even go through all of them. It's S O and then it jumps to D and then there's some other ones, <laughs> consistency and reusability. It's separation. like other like, stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, these are good principles. And I'm glad to hear that, that the person who wrote this article uh, is uh, making the case that, that Shad CNUI adheres to them, but it's not solid. It's sod Kurtz. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah. <laughs> like, so, Shad CN, go give it a try. Go to runtimerundown.com slash suggestions. Give us a little line. Drop us a line right. about it. I do uh, want to, yeah. And if, you, if you've if you used it before, like, let us know what you really like about it and let us know maybe who you think the, the um, target audience is. Yeah, that's a good call. Um, anything else you want to talk about with this article? Because we're at a crisp 49 minutes and 50 seconds. 49 minutes. That's, uh, no, I, I do not have any other... Anything else? How about you? Nope. All right. Let's uh, get to it. Evan, what are you learning? What are you learning? Let's see. Uh, two, two things. I'll go with one sort of technical and one sort of non-technical. Um, I think I talked about Tailwind. Did I talk about mm-hmm. Tailwind in a previous yep. episode here? Yeah, I I think I talked about how much I liked it in the previous yeah. episode. I've spent what? way more time with it, and now I'm amending that too. I no longer <laughs> like it. So I just want to say I've learned. I learned a lot uh, more Tailwind. Mm-hmm. No longer like it. Uh, <laughs> update and why is wow? It is it. It's a lot, and I have to consistently go back. And remember the names that they wrote for things that I already knew in CSS, uh, which mm-hmm. you'd think would get easier. But for me, maybe it's like for certain people's brains, it works super well. For me, I've mem- I've worked in CSS and I remember the CSS stuff. So that's like old hat to me. But I'm like, okay, how do I fucking add a pixel? Uh, how do I add like padding again? And it's like, okay, PX left, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, and then I have to go back. How do I add this again? And then I go back. Okay, okay, okay. And I have to consistently like get out of my flow and go v- remember how to do something I already learned, you know, now like 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, 
yep. and it, I found that to be really annoying. And then it got massive in size. Everything was just huge. Uh, and then advanced like visually, CSS use cases. You, visually you, you, huge. Yeah. Like the code was huge. Maybe I already talked about this in a previous episode. I no longer like it. I'm out. Um, <laughs> and then, okay. So that's what I'm learning is no longer learning tailwind. Uh, <laughs> if you like tailwind, let me know why and I'll judge you for it. Um, <laughs> the other thing that I'm learning is going back to a book that I read uh, a couple of years ago called the advice trap by Michael Stanier. Uh, he wrote The Coaching Habit, and this is a book that I like to revisit now. Well, I've never done it before, but I'm revisiting it now, and I probably will like once a year. It gives you, if you haven't read it, I'd check it out. The Advice Trap is really good, particularly for people in senior engineering, to avoid what is the trap of you think you're being paid for your solutions. Mm-hmm. You're like, I know everything, when in reality, you're being paid for your ability to pull those out of somebody else. Uh, and the advice chap is like a super practical book that gives you questions to ask that are like we talked about the rubber duck uh, last week, the right questions to ask to be a good rubber duck. What are the right questions to ask to be you know a good coach? Um, and that's sort of what we're doing in, in as mentors and sponsors and coaches in our jobs every day, if that's the type of role that you're in. And even if you're not in that in seniority, you can be that for somebody. And that book, this book, again, the advice chap is just really, I found it to be really easy to read, really practical. I have a bunch of dog-eared sections I go back to in my meetings and it's nice to revisit it. So relearning that. What about you? I should read that. Um, I am, I'm excited to talk about my what I'm learning this, this week is I am learning something in school. I am going to uh, a Japanese class. I started a Japanese class last weekend. Whoa, um, no way. Yeah, there's a, there's a, and I decided to go for the in-person one. Um, so it's, uh, it was actually a, a Christmas gift and um, it's, it, there's a, um, uh, an institute, like a Japanese institute local. It's, it's down in, um, it's down kind of near like BC area and it's called the Showa Institute. And like, it's, it feels so good. Just like being on a, on this campus It's beautiful. It's like this kind of set back and in the woods and um, it's really nice. And it is so fun. It's so fun being back in a classroom and being with people who are like, you know, everybody's there to learn everybody's super into it. Cause it's not like a high school class where people would, ra- everybody would rather right. be somewhere else. And um you're there with somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. It's, it le- we both love self-directed learning, but there is a certain limitation when you're just like, you don't know the answer and you have to go f- search it out yourself. And like, you're never a hundred percent sure that that's the right answer because you found it yourself. So it's nice when you have, when you have, it's nice when you have a question and you can just ask somebody, you just like, they're right there and you could, Hey, w- what's the difference between like this and this? Cause I've talked a little bit about Japanese in the past, but like it is very, there are some very subtle differences like, or, or I should say they're like some very, uh, pretty like major structural differences between English and Japanese. And some of the, like within the language that you may be able to say the same thing a couple different ways. And like, they're very subtle and it's, it's hard to understand when to use one or, or another. And it's just great having, having somebody there who can be like, Oh no, you, Oh, you said this, but you would actually say it like this. And, and so then you can like write that down or like whatever. I got a, I got a textbook. So I'm like writing all these notes in my textbook. It's, oh, so legit. That's, <laughs> super, so, that's so, so cool. Yeah. That, um, that in-person component I find for someone like you, right? So you have a, you generally are curious and you learn all the time. 
like you said, you kind of can, can only go, you get to a point where it's diminishing returns on doing it by yourself because you have to spend so much time to find nuance and advanced concepts. I, fi- I think there's like a, there's a formula there where you get enough under your feet that you can maximize your use of a, like in-person resources. Because it, yep. you know if, if you're brand new, you literally would ask everything of somebody else and then yeah. you're like getting spoon-fed, right? Uh, but you know enough that then you know what you can ask specific questions of somebody and just get way more speed. And you're like, you get to that next speed curve in your learning development. Exactly. Whereas you're starting to plateau, it, it can go up into the right a lot faster. Super cool. Love to hear yep. that. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting to, I'll just say one last thing. It's really interesting being in this class because it's a lot of people who have been self-directed learners so far, and they're now like getting into this class where they are among other people. And it's just so interesting to see what levels people are at because everybody's kind of at different levels, but, but in different places, people are like spiking in, in certain areas. So like one guy who was sitting next to me, he knows like tons and tons of kanji characters but like he doesn't have very much experience speaking and so it's like or or listening and so that part's challenging to him and i have more experience listening but like i don't have any any experience speaking and so it's been like it's just been like a really interesting uh, uh experience to see kind of di- people's different different levels and, and stuff it's been great really cool good luck in your studies thank you we'll and, do the uh, next episode completely in japanese yeah <laughs> That would be bad news for our listeners. But we want our listeners to come along on the Good News Cruise. That's what we're doing right now. <laughs> in case in case it's not clear, this segment is called Let's Sail Away on the Good News Cruise. I didn't even do the foghorn. What am I doing? I can't think. It's just so bizarre. If you've never yeah. listened to this and you just hear that, you're like... What are these guys doing? Yeah. Uh, Joe, I went first, and what am I learning? What's your good news? That's right. I got some good news. Uh, deforestation in Brazil's Amazon fell by nearly 50% in 2023 compared to 2022. Uh, that's, that's, that's not that's what the, the Netflix vegetarian documentary oh, told I've, we've me. We've been watching that too. Oh, man. I, but that I wonder when that was made because, like, yeah, we... We've been watching that and we were like, oh boy, this is not what we thought it was going to be about. It's it's that documentary is billed as like, watch these sets of twins as they go on a journey of eating different things. And then it's like- Yep, not that. Yeah. <laughs> then so. it's like some horrifying footage inside of chicken CAFOs and all this stuff, which I should expect that. It, the, the funding of that thing is actually very dubious. Uh, mm-hmm. All of that, the study is dubious. Do you, should you eat? Vegetables, a thousand percent. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, Jerry's still out on that. I don't, I don't that's know. That's true. That The funny part is it's also freaking confusing because I've yeah. got some people say vegetables are bad for you. <laughs> really? <laughs> like, okay. That's funny. I've never, I was actually I was totally, uh, totally kidding about that. Now there's carnivore people who are on the carnivore diet. Um, anyways. Yeah. Well, yeah, okay. So- back to your headline. Go ahead. Yes. Deforestation fell by nearly 50%. So this is like, uh, I, I think is the the rate at which deforestation is happening um, fell by fi- by nearly 50%. And like, I, I you know, I don't know how much uh, global news uh, it, people who are listening to this follow, but it sounds like uh, it's largely because of uh, Brazil's new president as of uh, what, 2022, 2023, um, Lula, who 
came back to be president after a while, and um, and uh, the pre- previous president of, of Brazil was not as interested in saving the rainforest, and so it sounds like this uh, this is largely due to that. It's an amazing headline. Uh, I'm going to continue in an environmental kick. Uh, the largest U.S. solar storage project just went online, which is um, a solar energy and storage project in California just came online. So they've got massive solar fields and now a bunch of batteries to stabilize the amount of energy that gets into the grid. The They can power 233,000 homes in California, uh, which is which is pretty incredible. And it looks like it's going to uh, maybe lead the way as an example for other solar storage farms. One of the biggest issues with, with solar is obviously inconsistent energy into the grid. Um, but with storage options, you can kind of meter that energy out in a bit of a better way. And, and what you always want in a grid is consistent energy, not spike energy. So pretty cool uh, that they did this. It's in the a desert in San Jose. Um, and it looks like they're going to try and build a lot more. 320,000 tons of carbon will be mitigated with the incredible scope of the project per year. Wow. That is a lot. Uh, that is good uh, news. Good news. All right. Uh, I don't have anything else. Evan, do you want to take us out? Yes. Head on over to runtimerundown.com slash suggestions. You can leave us a suggestion right there. It's going to email us. We'll get right back to you. Uh, You can also go on any one of the episodes and just comment right there with something called utterances. So it's going to ask your GitHub. Uh, That's legit. Don't worry. Um, And we love to hear from you. We, we, we hear from a fair amount of people and it's getting better and we want to hear from more people. So definitely get in there and engage with us. Uh, if you want to hear a certain topic, certain article, you want to yell at us, just drop us a line. Um, also head on over to any of your podcasters of choice. Spotify is our sort of main platform, but Apple podcast, Google podcast, Amazon podcast, all the podcasters you have, leave us a review really helps people, uh, find the show. The biggest thing though, is just tell a friend, um, We'll never monetize this. We haven't before. We do it for fun, but we do love watching our numbers go up and to the right. It just keeps us, you know, gives you a little bit of juice. Um, so if you wouldn't mind telling a friend, getting somebody else involved, if you think they'd like it, don't just, you know, tell your grandma who doesn't do tech. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your reviews and see our listenership go up a little bit because it gets us excited. Um, other than that, thank you for listening. Joe, what do you got? Uh, All I have is to say, Evan, I hope you have a wonderful week. And dear listener, I hope you also have a wonderful week. And we'll see you right back here next week. See you next week.